Okay, let's go on to evangelism. And as you're finding your place there, as we got most people back in here, let me, uh, let me refer you to this sheet, okay? Everybody got the sheet? Take your sheet, hold it up. Okay? All right. Okay, now let's look at it. On one side, it says discipleship. This is where you put your name and your email. And then list on there five people that you think you might be able to disciple. Now, remember, uh, you disciple someone who knows less than you do, or you disciple someone who needs a tool in order to help other people grow in Christ. So what we want you to do is we want you just to start thinking about names. These, the five people you list on there may not in any way ever want to be discipled, but you think they need it, or you're going to talk to them, or you're going to pray with them. What we're trying to do is get you thinking about discipling people. That's really the goal here, okay? Now, on the other side, let's turn that over. House of Prayer. Okay, House of Prayer is um, pretty, pretty self-explanatory if you've seen that, but I'm going to kind of give you detail. What we're going to do is we're going to start um, a night and day prayer here. We're going to start very small. It might be that we have one day a week and we're doing two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening. Okay, I'm just going to try to help you to walk through this. So we're going to start somewhere. And then as we can expand it, as we have support and people who want to pray and be engaged in that, we will expand that. And so if, you know, it could be that we'll start with two days, two hours in the morning, two hours at night, something like that. We don't really know. But what we do know is that uh, we'd like to have as many of you as feel any leadership at all in that to be a part of it. And, of course, we're trying to build the foundation of it. Um, So that's the first layer of that. The second layer of that is – I really feel like, you might say, I really feel like I would like to be a part of an ongoing house of prayer as a missionary, okay? Now, missionaries, we always think of, you know, they're, they're leaving here and they're going to a foreign country. I want you to think about someone who's serving as a missionary in the house of prayer. Their mission field is the house of prayer. And so what they do is they show up here and they say, part of what my mission is is to be in the house of prayer, to lift up prayer requests, to minister before the Lord in the house of prayer. Some of you will say, I'd like, I feel like God might be leading me to that to be my vocation, okay? My job, or impart my job, to the point to where I would even get financial support from people who say, I, I believe in prayer, and I believe in the structure of it, and I would financially support you to do that. Now, that, that's a pretty radical way of thinking if you've never heard of it before. Okay, it's just so different. But we all believe in prayer, right? There's, one thing we, there's two things we probably all have in common. We all believe prayer really works. Number two, we don't pray enough. Can we all agree with that one, right? Okay, we all go, I wish I could pray more, all right? Um, well, I think what this is going to do, it's going to change, it's going to begin to change a mindset of prayer among all of us, Okay? And I think there's just different layers that are going to go in there. Some people are going to really feel like, I want to be a part of this mission field of, of praying and lifting up people before God and, and seeing what God can do. And it's not going to be, you know, as uh, I, I like what Corey Stark said, it's not rock pile praying. In other words, it's not in here just slinging the hammer, you know, in dead silence, you know, trying to figure out what you're going to say. And they found out when they used that model from Revelation 5 with worship, 
and prayer going on at the same time. And the people, like let's say that I was a worship leader, thank God I'm not, right? Because you know I can't sing, all right? But um, I'm not leading you if I'm a worship leader. I'm ministering to the Father. So this is not about leadership. And Corey has, has told us that what has happened through this whole process, that that, has, that literally has become a greenhouse for developing worshipers and worship leaders. So out of their house of prayer alone, they produce six albums a year. Just out of that. has nothing to do with their church. Just out of that comes because it's a greenhouse. Because you think about it, if you're in here and you're worshiping for two hours as a worship leader, you're doing as much as you would probably do in maybe five or six weeks in church. Just one set, one two-hour set. And then when you start to combine in there art and creative writing and all these different things that I'm really excited to see how this thing's going to go. So we are going to take um, a group of people, we don't know how many yet, we don't know who those, all those people are, to Kansas City to what they have is called an immerse. And in a immerse, it's a week where you basically are immersed in a house of prayer. Okay? And the idea is to see if you can handle it. Right? You really want this? I mean, you really want to spend that much time in prayer? We're going to find out. You know, can you really, can you understand this concept? And the idea is that David hired worshipers and intercessors in Jerusalem to minister before the Lord at the Ark of the Covenant. Now think about that. There is a biblical precedent for hiring people to be intercessors and worshipers before the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. Kind of interesting, huh? All right, so I know it's different. It's a little radical, maybe. You know, and some of you are going, I, I can't even put my arms around this because you immediately want to, when I say missionary, you're immediately going to Uganda. <laughs> you're not going to Uganda unless God wants you to go and you want to go to Uganda. that fair enough? Okay. All right, is that good? Does that help? If you have any other questions, I mean, shoot me an email um, uh, or grab us, you know, afterwards, and we'll try to answer that. And, uh, and anyway, but if, if you have an interest and you say, you're not saying I'm definitely doing it. You're saying I'm interested in obtaining more information on becoming or supporting an influenced missionary for the house of prayer. So you're not, you're not selling your soul here to the house of prayer. You're saying I'm interested. We have to have some place to start, so please fill that out. On the other side, write your name out. Maybe you've got some, uh, some people you're thinking about. We want you to do the hard work of thinking, okay? All right. Got it? Everybody good? Yes, Brian. Uh, you, you know, right over there on that, see that empty chair over there? You can just set it right on that empty chair over by the deal. So if, as you're walking out, put it out there. And then while I'm, while I'm in the middle of this, and then I can just take a fast run to the judgment seat of Christ, um, we need to take all the tables and chairs down tonight um, because we're going to set up for the, uh, the dessert deal. And we also need, John says we need to get all this stuff out of here, correct, John? So John will be up here to kind of help and supervise and kind of tell you how that works, okay? Uh, everything has to stay here. It's not going home with you. That's a joke. Hello? <laughs> Dang. All right. Okay, let's go ahead and start uh, evangelism. Now, how many of you were in the evangelism course we did with Jared? Just raise your hand. Okay, good. That's a good group. How many of you 
Um, since that course, have, have had an opportunity to maybe share your faith with at least one person. Just raise your hand up. Great. Good. Okay. Well, evangelism is really this, this delivering of the good news. And we make it so hard, and we think we have to have so much knowledge in order to do this effectively. I promise you, you don't. What you have to do is have the core of the message you tell people. When you're, when you're discipling someone, what you want them to understand is you were designed by God in part to fulfill the mission that Jesus left. As I was in the world, so you are in the world. As my Father sent me, so send I you into the world. Every single person in here is here because somebody talked to somebody who talked to you about Jesus Christ. So we are, we are the recipients. We should, be, we should be sold on the idea of sharing our faith. But I think what's happened is we have allowed education and skeptics to keep us from sharing our faith effectively. We're so worried that somebody's going to ask us something we don't have the answer to that we just don't do it. Or we don't know how to break into conversation. Well, how do I get it started? I mean, you know, you're just sitting there talking. How do I do it? If you'll listen, there's always an opportunity. And you need to get like two or three key kind of things. Somebody's talking about how bad the world is. You've got open door. Can you believe where this world's going? Hey, somebody says that? If that's not your open door, I don't know what is. Where do you think it's going? Write some of these down. You're going to forget them. I'm I'm giving you help here, all right? And you look at me and go, I will remember. You will not remember. All right? You will not remember. You'll get in that situation and go, what did he say? Okay, where's the world going? And you can just ask a question. Do the Jesus thing. Well, where do you think it's going? Well, I don't know. Nowhere good. You know, I agree with you. You know, I don't know if you're a person of faith or not, but, you know, Jesus came and talked a lot about that. And he really wanted us to understand something about a relationship with him. Could be an easy, as easy as that. People open the door for God when they complain or when they're in crisis. Remember that. It's the two C's, complaint or crisis. When they're complaining or when they're in crisis, you've got an open door. Listen for it. You'll develop a skill in getting there. Now, there's no way to not feel like it's not, you know, just really, you're just kind of erupting on the scene. You feel like, oh, this is going to be awkward. If it feels like it's going to be awkward, that's okay. You're awkward most of the time anyway, aren't you? I mean, really, there's, aren't there a lot of awkward moments in your life? Why not use them for God? So, you know, when, when person says, well, when you jump into the Jesus thing, that's why I says, hey, are you a person of faith? What I've done is I've made a little bit smoother transition in this evangelism thing. Now, when you're going through discipleship and you're teaching somebody, you want to say, hey, here's why it's important. So look on page 70 there for a minute. And uh, I always say personalize your discipleship book. I'm discipling uh, a couple of guys one-on-one right now. And what I say is when, when we're going through in a lesson, hey, write, if I give you an illustration that's good, write it down. If you think of one that's good, write it down. If I give you another scripture that relates to this or you find one, write it in your book. Do not, do not assume you will remember. How many of you remember the sunset tonight? Nobody. How many of you saw the sunset tonight? How many knew the sunset tonight? <laughs> Can I get a response out of you somehow? 
Oh, my gosh. Have you ever seen the most beautiful sunset in the world and you go, I will never forget it, and 30 seconds later it's gone? That's exactly what happens when I talk to you. 30 seconds later and it's all gone from you. What did he say? I don't know, but I think it was good. That's the only reason we videotape everything because nobody remembers what I said. Okay, now, now look what it says here, top of page 70. Uh, the Bible teaches us to live apart from the world system, that is, not operating by its values and its principles, okay, and at the same time to reach out to people to live in it. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray this way, we are effectively choosing God's values, priorities over those of the world. We might as well pray, Thy will be done in me if we have chosen God's values. Okay, so what, what are we doing is we're saying, hey, if you think the world is in bad place, let me tell you about the world that's coming and let me tell you how you can have peace in the world today. You have to be gutsy. I'll tell you, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of my story on evangelism. Um, I, was, uh, I came to faith in Christ and no one ever witnessed to me. No one ever shared their faith with me. The closest I got was a girl in high school gave me a card that says, smile, God loves you. That was the closest I ever got to anybody trying to tell me about Jesus. Now, it's even worse than that. Because now I've been a Christian all these years, not one time has someone walked up to me and tried to tell me about Jesus. No one's ever assumed that I might want to hear. No one's ever heard me gripe and use it as an opportunity, seen me in crisis, all right, or any other thing, and done that. Now, if, if that's the example, now maybe some of you have had that. How many of you have had people come up and try to tell you about Christ? Raise your hand. Okay, just hold them up. Not Mormons. That's not Jesus. That's a false God. Okay, raise your hand. Okay, just keep it up. Keep it up. I'll just, now, look around. Okay, that's about half of you, I guess, if I'm guessing right. So half of you, and how many of you who did not raise your hand have been a Christian for at least two years? Raise your hand. Okay, so you can live in this world, in, in Jesus, Orange County, and nobody has ever even tried to tell you about Jesus. What does that tell you? There's an exp- it tells me that there's a, an explanation why the world is going to hell. Because we are doing everything we can to help it. Did you hear me? We are doing everything we can to make sure nobody hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and that they go to hell because we won't open our mouth. How's that? It's easy to blame, you know, somebody because they're ungodly, but what about us? We got the truth serum, right? We got the penicillin. We got the word of life. We got the Holy Spirit. So my first experience, so I had that experience where nobody had ever witnessed to me. I got a Bible, I started reading it, and, and that brought me to a faith in Christ, just reading it on my own. Now I'm pastoring my first church. And the first or second Saturday, there's a knock at my door. It's early in the morning. I've, dri- I've been in seminary all week, I've driven up there, and now somebody's knocking on my door on Saturday morning, right? I've just driven 120 miles to get to my church. What is this? I go out there, and there's this guy named Ansel Carruth. Ansel, it just it will ever for live in my mind, is just like the greatest shaper of my life in so many ways. He said, uh, Preacher, you ready? Ready for what? We're going out. We're going to hand out New Testaments and tell people how to be saved. He said, I got cases of Bibles in my trunk, and when we're done, we can come home. 
All I heard was cases. I didn't hear like a couple of gospel tracts. I heard cases of Bibles. Sure enough, go out there, he opens up the trunk. He's so proud to show me he's got three or four cases of little paperback New Testaments. All of them are specially hand-marked with the Roman road for salvation. And, and you open up the front, he says, see here, here's how it works, preacher. On the front cover, it says, turn to page 181, or whatever the page number was. And you go over there, and there's Romans 3.23. And you get to Romans 3.23, and there's next to it, it's a little mark there, and it says, turn to Romans 6.23. And then you get over to 6.23, it says, turn back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. And then chapter 5, it says, turn to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That's the Roman road of salvation. He says, now here's what we're going to do, preacher. We're going to go out and we're going to talk to people and we're going to win some souls today. I wanted to sleep, quite honestly. It was the only reason I went was because I was the pastor. And guilt was overcoming me right there in that moment. How can I not do what this guy wants me to do? I had no idea what a fanatic this guy was. Crazy, loony, crazy Jesus fanatic. So sure enough, I said, where are we going? He said, well, we're going to start at the hospital We're going to work our way over to the old folks' home. Then we're going to go down through Clinton, a little town there. We're going to go up and down the streets. And if we still have Bibles, then we're going to go up to uh, uh, Norwood. And when we get down with Norwood, we're going to make our way back, and we can swing by. And if we see anybody on the side of the road, we'll stop and tell them. That was his plan every Saturday. He had a little gospel track. He, He printed his own story. It wasn't anything fancy. There wasn't any pictures on it. There was, uh, I don't think there was any color. I think it was just black and white, little track. And whenever you saw him coming, you ran. Because he always had a stack of about 100 of them. He said, hey, go get rid of these. He got involved in the World Track Society. It was a, something that existed years ago. And basically, if you'd send them 1,000 tracks, they'll send you 1,000 of somebody else's, and you help distribute theirs, and they help distribute yours. Not a week went by for all the years I knew that guy, that he didn't get letters in the mail from somebody who'd gotten saved from his little story. Cheesy little track. That's all it was. He said, "My preacher, my goal is to get rid of a million of these before I die. A million. That's why people ran. No, here he comes. He's got tracks, right? A million. Do you know that before he died, he got rid of over a million tracks? He started going to the prisons. He started just telling people that going to the prison, just going in, and, and they got so fed up with him, they threw him out. I mean, it's bad when you get thrown out of prison, <laughs> right? They throw him out of prison. They say, you can't come back here. You know, you're, you're just too, too crazy here. So what does he do? He gets, you know, those metal horns like speakers? <laughs> he gets one. He mounts it on the top of his car. He finds out when the prisoners come out in the yard to, to, for uh, recreation. He drives up, and he preaches the gospel through that big horn. Determined. Determined. You know why? Because he believed people are really going to hell. That's why. That's why he did it. He really believed people are going to hell. Prejudice deep south. He went into every home, every person, anybody, any color, any stripe, any it didn't matter. When he died, I, I, we'd moved away, and, and when he, before I left, he said, Preacher, when I die, I want you to do my funeral. But I got three rules, all right? I said, okay, what are they? Okay, I want the choir to sing about the second coming, okay? 
I said, okay, that one's easy. I want you to wear a white suit. I said, we'll have to get one of those. I settled for cream. I couldn't do white. It was just too much, right? And he said, and I want the church filled up with African Americans. Now, in Deep South Baton Rouge, that was no easy measure. I think he said four things because he said, I want you to give an invitation for people to be saved. So I'd moved away, come back a few years later, and we had the choir singing about the second coming. We gave an invitation for people to be saved. I had a off-white suit, and it was filled up with people of every color. First time in the history of that church, anybody of a different color had ever walked into it. See, because he loved people, and it didn't matter who they were, what color, or what kind of cultural crap they were shoveling down there. Because you know why he loved them? Because he believed that God loved them. And he knew without God's love, they were going to hell. What happens if we get that in our heart? What happens if we instill that in, in the people we disciple and we train and we lead to Christ? What happens if we just, we, we became just fiery evangelists for Jesus Christ? You've heard me say this. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, um, he was criticized because his soldiers did not go to seminary to be trained. And they asked him one time, uh, Mr. Booth, um, wouldn't you like your soldiers to go to, and, and receive an education, some training? He said, I would very much. Well, what would that look like, Mr. Booth? He said, I'd like them to go to hell for two weeks. And when they came back, they would never stop telling people about Jesus. See, we've lost this, haven't we? We've lost this fire of evangelism. You know, we, we assume that people are going to hear a message or they know where a church is or whatever. But don't ever make that assumption. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. That's what this is all about. The gospel is pretty simple. Turn in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to give you the gospel definition in one section. Um, and it is the easiest way just to know what, it, what the, the content of the gospel is. He says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Is that any, could it be any clearer than that? Okay, I'm going to tell you the gospel. Which preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. So the gospel has to be what? What's the first thing? Proclaimed. Somebody has to proclaim it. It has to be preached to you. It has to be received, right, which you received. You receive the gospel. The good news comes into your life and in which you stand. In other words, you have security and power in salvation. Got it? Okay. By which you are what? Saved. How am I saved? By the gospel. I'm not saved by good works. I'm not saved by going to church, not saved by baptism, not saved by any of those. I'm only saved by what? The gospel, by which I am saved if you hold fast to the word which is preached to you unless you believed in vain. So if you didn't really believe, then you don't, you don't have salvation is what he's saying because you might have believed in vain. The word vain uh, or vanity means chasing the wind. Ecclesiastes, the whole book's written about, you know, vanity, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, right? Okay, you might have been chasing the wind. Now, 
in case you don't know, I delivered to you what was, uh, uh, first of all, that which I received, and here's the first piece of the gospel. Ready? Here it is. Christ died for our sins. Here's the gospel. What did he do? Christ died for our sins. That he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. There's the gospel. Christ died, buried, and rose again in order for you to have salvation. So when I'm giving a gospel presentation, I want to make sure I get that in there. It's more important that you get that in there, that content in there, that you ever tell them about Influence Church. I would rather them saved and never know there was an Influence Church. It's not about our kingdom. It's about his kingdom. It's not about if our church is big or not big. It's about our people going to heaven. That's really what it's all about, amen? You know, the house of prayer, you know what it's really about? It's about supporting believers so that they can get that message out and glorify God. Isn't it? See, all these things, if we just make it super simple, I was walking out the door the other day and, and some lady was coming in, she's kind of new, and she said, uh, I want to find out about membership in your church. I said, well, we don't have membership. Well, it was like, we're aliens when I said that. We mean we don't have membership. No, we don't have membership. Why not? I don't know, it's complicated. Doesn't do any good. And the Bible doesn't have any members. Well, it doesn't. There's no membership in the Bible. You, can you find a chapter on membership? It's just not important. Because, you know, if you think you're part of a club, you need a membership. If you're part of a movement, you don't care. You don't care. You just want to get the message out. Just getting the message out, all right? So what's the message? Christ died for your sins. Okay, so somewhere in a conversation when I'm talking to somebody, i got to get that in there. Christ died. You can even use it as a question. Hey, do you, I heard something the other day at church. I don't know if you go to church or not, but I heard something the other day that Jesus died on the cross. Have you ever heard anything like that? Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Knew about that when I was a kid. Beautiful. Why did he do that? That's your question. Tell me why he did that. I don't know, but I know he did. Do you know that I went through what, whatever church experiences I had, I went through those church experiences hearing at church that Christ died on the cross. But you know what I didn't know? I didn't know why. And you know what? I didn't, maybe this is a guy thing, kind of like, you know, asking for directions, okay? But I thought everybody knew but me. And I didn't want to be stupid, so I never asked. What if people want to know but they're afraid to look stupid. So when someone says, well, I, I don't know why he did, but I know he did. You know, well, this is what I think. Tell me what, if this kind of resonates with you. I think he died for our sins because sins keep us out of heaven. Now, do not let the one in a million skeptics stop you from that message. If somebody says to you, well, you know, I read the Bible and, and it's filled with contradictions. Really? Wow. Well, what do you think about Jesus dying on the cross? Do you think he did that? Or do you think he's just lying? Why? Why do you keep going back to that? Because that's the what? The gospel. You keep going back to that. 
They want to get you over there wanting to know, you know, how did Noah get all the animals on the ark? Just tell them, I don't know. I can't get my dog in my backyard. <laughs> Baffles me. But what do you think about Jesus dying on the cross? You see what I'm doing? Don't, you got to be like a broken record. You got to drive back always to the what? The gospel. The gospel. You're in a conversation the last five minutes, you should always head to the cross. I'm going to the cross. Why? Because it's the gospel of salvation to them who believe. It is the gospel. So Christ died for our sins, and it was, guess what, according to the scriptures. It wasn't just a kind of whimsical thing. A lot of people died. No, no, no. This was according to the writings of the Old Testament. Okay? All right. So we're going to give them the gospel. And by the way, you, if you want to just go on and read this, but really I think the key, if you can just get down through, get in your mind what it's being said in the first four verses, you've got the gospel. You've got the gospel. Now, the Roman road. Anybody heard? You've, I kind of gave it to you. How many of you have heard of the Roman road? Okay, let me give it to the rest of you. I want you to write it down. We're going to do it in our Bibles. So take your Bible. Uh, you're going to get to Mark in your Bible tonight. Kind of fun, huh? Some of you are neat freaks and you're afraid you're going to mess it up. Okay. Look, she's coming forward. Give her a gospel track right now. Sing another hymn. Okay, now, go to uh, Romans chapter uh, 3 and verse 23. Got it? Romans 3, 23. Okay. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right next to that one, put Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Just write it next in the, mar in the margin, next to 323, write 623. What do I have, 20 minutes left, 25? 15. The judgment seat of Christ is coming fast, and you better be ready. Okay, next to Romans 6, 23, I want you to write Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, 8. So I'm going to go from the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now I'm going to read Romans 5, 8 to him, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Got it? Next to Romans 5, 8, you're going to put Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, you're going to put Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Here's what you can do. Hey, talking to somebody, hey, would you mind if I practiced on you? My preacher gave me this crazy assignment of the Roman road. I promise it'll only take five minutes. Yeah, go ahead. Give it to me. All right, now you're going to go over to Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. This is where you seal the deal. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, there's a good chance you'll be saved. What's it say? You will be saved. It's a promise. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Never ask a person if they want to become a Christian. Is there any reason why you wouldn't want to pray a prayer and, and know God today? Can you give me a good reason why? That's different than would you like to become a Christian? No, I'd like to think about it. Okay, very good. You lose it all. Okay, you got the essence of the gospel? 
Okay? We have to go to the judgment seat of Christ because all of you need to give an account. Okay? Ready? You got evangelism down? All you got to do is do it. Open your mouth. Open your mouth and spill out Jesus. Okay, judgment seat of Christ. This sounds like a bad place. It's not a bad place. It's a good place. Only Christians will be at the judgment seat of Christ. Non-Christians will be at the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. Only Christians will be at the judgment seat of Christ. The believer will appear before the judgment seat of Christ um, to give an account for the deeds done in the body. In other words, this is an accounting, okay? We've got a credit and we've got a loss column. God's going to look at it and go, you know, everything you did, hopefully he doesn't say this to any of us, everything you did was wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to burn up, but you are still saved. So there is good news, right? The good news is I'm saved. The bad news is I got all eternity with no spending money. That's really what this is saying. I have nothing, I have no reward, I have nothing that I leverage within the kingdom in terms of position because everything I did was for me. I got saved and that, that was good enough. So what he's trying to do here is trying to, to build a case for works, for building up treasures in heaven. You know that's a command. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Here it comes, command. Okay, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Why? Because you're going to need them. For what? I don't know. But Jesus thought it was important enough to tell me to do it. I should go ahead and go through with it, right? So um, I'm just going to hit this kind of quick. So um, there is a judgment seat of Christ uh, we believe it'll, it'll come following the rapture. Every believer will give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. Um, I th- if your Bible says evil, then understand good and evil. It's, it's actually good and those that are worthless. So I'm going to have things that are worthless. The evil things have already been dealt with at the cross through the blood, right? I just going to have worthless things, you know? Hey, you went ahead and did that, but you did it with the wrong attitude. Have you ever, you ever done something served at the church and you had a bad attitude? Anybody? Hey, I have. Anybody else? It's like, yeah, why am I doing this? I'm the only one working. Why, you know, look at those lazy Christians over there. They're talking while I'm setting up chairs. You just got your reward. Your reward was you got to gripe to somebody about how, what a martyr you are. You got somebody to sing how great thou art to you. How great thou art. Right? Okay. All right. So, look at, the, look at the arrow. <clears throat> Examine your works or your deeds. Hey, am I doing anything for God? Am I doing it with the right motive? That's all you have to say. Am I doing anything for God? Am I doing it for the right motive? It's simple. I want to serve God. And I want to do it with a good attitude. If I get a bad attitude, I want to correct it and I get a good attitude. If you've got a bad attitude about it all the time, you need to just pull back a little bit and say, wait, I've got to readjust here. If you have the gift of serving, it's easy to get the bad attitude because you become judgmental of those who are not. If you have the gift of mercy, you become carnally minded when other people aren't seeming to care like you are, and you want to cut them up. Meanest person in the world is a person with the gift of mercy walking in the flesh. 
They are. They are crusaders. No, they're jihadists. Okay. <clears throat> Judgment seat of Christ. What does it do? It reveals impure motives. So I get a loss of eternal reward because I had the wrong motive. I love that scene in Revelation where uh, we're all before the, uh, the ju- all before the throne of Christ there, and it says they're assembled there, the 12 and 24 elders. you got everybody there, right? And they're singing this new song, and they've got crowns on their head. Remember that? Because they're crowns that are given. And they take those crowns off, and what do they do? They throw them at the Savior's feet, and they say, worthy is the Lamb. I don't know about you. I'm going to be wanting a crown on that day. I'm not going to be looking around going, dang, everybody in my crowd's got crowns. Everybody in my group's got crowns. Where's my crown? Why am I doing it? I'm not doing it for my credit. I'm doing it because he's worthy. That's why you lay up treasures in heaven, because he's worthy. And somehow it's a part of the economy of God. Treasures in heaven is part of the economy of God. Uh, when I, you know, um, the impure motives, I have a lo- uh, loss of boldness. Um, I have conscious issues, all those kind of things. Um, I love this quote. I gave it to you earlier. God, uh, top of page 78, God gives unmerited favor, but he never gives unmerited rewards. Every reward you get, you will deserve. Everyone you miss out on is because you didn't deserve it. Uh, God's promise, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. There's a promise. For some, the judgment seat will be a, a day of wonderful rewards. And here's five crowns that are listed. I don't think this is all of them. These are just five. One's the incorruptible crown. Those who faithfully finish the race. For those who live a life of self-control. Crown of life for those who endure trials. For those who are martyred for their faith. Crown of righteousness for those who love his appearing. That doesn't mean, oh, I love the appearing of Jesus. I just can't wait. No, it means you do something about it. You warn people. You tell people. You get that message out. For those who have a sense of urgency about the Lord's return. How about a crown of rejoicing for those who lead people to Christ? For those who have any part in bringing someone to Christ. The crown of glory for those who shared the ministry of shepherding God's people. This probably is more related to, to those who are in, in pastoring and leadership kind of roles. You don't have to be a pastor to get this, this crown, I don't believe, I think. But you have to shepherd people and guide people. Um, so what do we want to do? We want to prepare for the return of Christ. Now, how do you prepare? You prepare by laying up good treasures in heaven. You prepare by living out your life, loving God with all your heart. Um, And there are some things. Live a life that's blameless, a life that's confident, a life of hope. Hope means confident assurance what God's promised he'll, he'll deliver. Live a life of love and a life of patience. So what we're doing is we're saying, if Jesus is really coming back, what should we do? That's really the question it's asking. If he's really coming back, And you know why the Bible says no man knows the hour of the day? Because if you knew he was coming a certain year, you say, well, gee, I got like 20 years. I goof off. 20 years. What if you, but the Bible is written with this sense of urgency that he could come back at any moment. If he came back today, am I ready? What would I do? If If you got a message from God, he sent it in on a text and said, I will return tomorrow at noon. What would you, would you do anything different? Okay, if you would, then do that now. Do that now. Would you tell anybody about Jesus that don't, doesn't know Jesus? Then do that now. Would you serve? We'll do that now. Well, what if he doesn't come back and I've got like 20 years of serving? It won't hurt you. 
There are worse things you could do with your life than serving God. Okay? I love this, uh, this thing that's on the, uh, was written on the, the door of Lebec, uh, Germany. You call me master and obey me not. You call me way and walk me not. You call me life and desire me not. You call me wise and follow me not. Call me fair and love me not. Call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me noble and serve me not. Mighty and honor me not. Just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Um, put a chart down here at the bottom of, um, of my particular bent on the return of Christ. Um, some scriptures, I'd encourage you to kind of look at that and study it. It gives you a bit of the idea there. Uh, you'll notice when the church is raptured up, that you have the church uh, in heaven there, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and that's where the, that's where the judgment seat of Christ takes place in that interim period. Then when we return, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, we're robed in robes of righteousness. And our treasures have already been given. And we are then prepared to serve in the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Because we've already, those, and then that, the first big event there is then the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. So all of this is the idea that we, we see in many weddings, okay, is the, is the judgment seat of Christ. Does that sound funny? Okay, what happens? Bride comes down the aisle, right? How's she dressed? She's dressed in white. Who's waiting for her? The, the groom is waiting, and typically he's, he's either at the bottom and going to help her up the stairs, or he's at the top of the raised platform. Attendants follow. Okay, those are the virgins that are given there in, in Matthew chapter 25. They're coming, right? Here they are, they're greeting. What does he do? He gives her a ring. He gives a gift. They leave, and where do they go? They go out to have what? Food, celebration, right? Jesus said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. We're not so... You know, would have told you, but I go prepare a place for you that where I am, there may you be also. See, that's a scripture primarily about the return of Christ. So what happened in Jewish culture was that the bride would come, they would get married, they would be honored, they would leave, they would go have the marriage supper of the lamb or the dinner, and they would live in the father's house for at least one year. That was Jewish tradition. And the girl would learn how to cook, and the guy would learn how to be a husband. And they would save money so they could get their own place. And that's how it worked. That's what he's talking about there. He's talking about the whole marriage supper. He's talking about the return of Christ when, when they're coming back. Okay? Now, how's my time? I'm time. Okay. We've got to close. Okay, 30 seconds. I can pray. Thank you for being a part of this discipleship course. I want to encourage you to fill out your sheet, turn it in. Amen. I know you have questions, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, this is too late. You should have had oil in your lamp earlier. Okay, now, <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. We need to take everything up, get everything buttoned down, so help us. If you're standing around talking and someone has the gift of service and they watch you, you're going to be condemned. <laughs> Amen? 
All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this class. Thank you for every person. I pray that kingdom discipleship will be a part of their life from this point on, that there will be many, many disciples who are made from this crowd, that people will be led to faith in Christ, they'll grow in the, in the things of the kingdom, and that we will indeed be world changers for Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. God bless you. Let's button up the, the room. Thanks, guys.